0: This morning's scripture reading comes from Genesis 23, verses 1 through 20. If you're using the Blue Pew Bible, it is on page 16. Once again, we're in Genesis 23. And we're going to read verses 1 through 20. Please stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Genesis 23, 1 through 20. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of Sarah, the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered, Abraham, hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me. And entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field, accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that among, between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gates of his city." After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And in the preaching of your word now, Holy Spirit, would you be pleased to convict and console, encourage and edify all those here in this room as you see fit it's in jesus name we pray amen well a couple months ago i shared with y'all the family tragedy that happened in my life um, back in the 80s there's a car accident that took the life of my sister unexpectedly she was 14 and i was two for some time, for a period of time after that, from time to time as a kid growing up, I would have these recurring nightmares. It was this ball of some sort that would come in these nightmares, rolling and rolling, chasing after me. And I would just be trying to get out of its path, almost like it was going to crush me. And in a sense, it was almost as if this was some manifestation of a fear of death. I was gripped by a fear of death. Now fast forward to when I turned 14, right around the time when I turned 14, I still remember this sense that there might be a curse on my life. That when I turned 14, it might be my turn to die. The reality of death has been for me uh, a part of my life for, for much of my life. And I ask you, what are your thoughts on death? How often do you think about death? I know it's not a, a, a comfortable topic to talk about, it's not something you want to go over, uh, have, a, have a cup of coffee with someone, and just chat about. It's not one of those kind of topics even if you don't think about it very much, there are three kinds of ways, three approaches you can have towards death. The first is this. You could live as if death doesn't exist. The late author and pastor, Tim Keller, once said that everyone knows they're going to die. But he talked about how people really, in some ways, repress that knowledge and live as if they're never going to die. Or second, you could live with this ever-present anxiety about dying. You're gripped by this all-consuming fear of death, and you try to avoid it at all costs, and it leads you to live in some some painful and unhealthy ways. Or third, you could let the possibility and the reality of death shape the way you live in a positive way. You're not ignoring it. You're not living as if it doesn't exist. But at the same time, you're letting the reality of death shape the way you live to give you a greater life of wisdom, of deeper levels of humility, because you know you've only got so much time on this earth. For some of you today, death is a present reality. You might have just lost a loved one not too long ago, or there might be someone in your life who's approaching death and you're, facing, you're having to face some end-of-life issues head-on. Brothers, of you, pr- death is a present reality because you, your loved one or yourself, you might have just been struck by a diagnosis of cancer or another terminal illness. And you're having to think of appropriate therapies and doctor's visits and you're having to talk about just how many weeks, how many months... Possibly one has left to live. Since April, we've been taking a deep dive into the life of Abraham and Sarah and their journey of faith. There have been lots of twists and turns, but now we're at a juncture, a milestone, a point in Abraham's life where he's confronted with the reality of death where it hurts the most. It's the death of his wife, Sarah, the love of his life. And where I want to take us this morning as we study the book of Genesis chapter 23 is to put this question out in front of all of us. How should we face the reality of death, either for ourselves or for our loved ones down the line, when it's just such an uncomfortable topic to begin with? I'm sure many of us would much rather spend this morning talking about anything but death. But this highlights, and and I'm sure that, uh, yeah, I'm sure you'd rather be talking about anything besides death. It's just, it's such a downer. But this highlights yet again the benefit of hearing God's word preached section by section through books at a time. Because if you come across Issues that might get looked over if a preacher just put together a sermon series based on favorite passages or went from section to section of the Bible, but skipping over things that were hard to understand or didn't seem really relevant to life. The truth of the matter is that the author of Genesis chose to devote an entire section of this book, an entire chapter's worth, to the death of and subsequent burial of Sarah. I mean, think about it. These events could easily be summed up with just a few verses. But instead, we find the Holy Spirit taking time, working through the author of Genesis, to put the emphasis where he did. Carefully explaining each little part of what happened when Sarah died and what happened as Abraham looked for a burial place for her. And so back to the question, how should we face the reality of death, either for ourselves or for our loved ones? What I want to point out for you today are two things in this passage. The first is this. Entrust yourself to a God who knows the number of your days. Entrust yourself to a God who knows the number of days. Of your days. I want you to look at Genesis 23. And we'll just park right here in verse 1 together. It reads this Sarah lived 127 years. These were the life of Sarah. It's been a long journey for both Sarah and Abraham, they've seen a lot over the years. In Genesis 12, God speaks to Abram and calls him to leave the land and the people that he was with. To go to a land he was to receive as an inheritance. In Genesis 15, God promises that he's going to give Abram offspring as uncountable as the stars in heaven through his very own son. In Genesis 16, Sarai still struggling with infertility, takes things into her own hands and comes up with this plan to have Abraham have a child with her own Egyptian servant, Hagar. A chapter later, we see God graciously promising Abraham a son being born through Sarah herself, even though she was nearing 90 years old. Sure enough, in Genesis 21, we find Sarah giving birth to Isaac, the child of promise, the child through whom God promises that Sarah will become nations, kings of people shall come from her. This was all part of the original promise to Abraham that he received from the Lord in Genesis 12. And I will make of you a great nation, God says to Abram. And I will bless you and make you your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's been a long journey for Abraham and Sarah. And now the time has come for one of them to leave this earth. And Sarah goes first. And Abraham has to undergo the pain of losing his wife who's traveled this journey of faith with him all these years. The Bible says that there's a time for everything, including a time to be born and a time to die. Sarah dies at the age of 127, 37 years after Isaac was born. And what I see here is that God knows the number of our days. He knows the number of years that we will live On this earth. Whether that means three years for you or 30 years, God knows the number of our days. Which means we have a set number of days, we just don't know how many there are. Now, this isn't meant to scare you or to make you live in constant fear of death, but I think there's something helpful and humbling about recognizing that our days are limited, that our days are numbered. There's a connection here to to Psalm 139, which scripture tells us, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And the Bible says in Job 14, 5, that man's days are determined and the number of his months is with God. So what's the point of spending all this time just dwelling on this? What good does it do for us to think about how God knows the number of our days that our days are numbered, we just don't know what they are? Listen to Psalm 90. Verse 10 through 12. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. There's a kind of wisdom that comes when we take the time to meditate on the fact that we won't be around here on earth. We won't always be around here on earth, at least the present earth. Even if you've been walking your journey of faith for many years, there comes a time that God has appointed for your death. It was true for Sarah, and it'll be true for you and for me. Unless, of course, Jesus returns first. And instead of repressing this truth about death like Tim Keller was talking about, God calls us to allow this reality of death to shape the way we live for the better. Aligned with the wisdom in the truest sense of the word, which is the wisdom that comes from God himself. Back when I was a sophomore in college, the discipler I had at the time gave me two CDs. Some of you don't even know what CDs are, maybe. Two CDs. On each CD was a sermon, each, different sermons by Pastor John Piper. One of the CDs had a message by Piper who was entitled, Don't Waste Your Life. And over the years, this message has been a really influential message for me even though it's been many years since college and I've heard it more multiple times since then. Piper's point in his message was essentially that not only do we not know how long we have yet to live but there are ways you can live your life that can lead to either you wasting it or not wasting it. He says this Your life is in God's hands. Your life hangs by a slender thread of sovereign grace. You belong to God. He made you. You exist for Him. God made life. He knows what life is for. And He has the right to take it and a right to give it whenever He pleases. He goes on to say, the unwasted life is a life that puts Christ on display as supremely valuable. And I think God has used both the memory of my sister dying early on in my life and this message of don't waste your life to free me to take certain risks that I might not have otherwise. With my sister dying at the age of 14, I know beyond the shadow of the doubt that God could take my life any time. I can't presume that I'm going to live another 20 years, 30 years. and the time that I do have left, I don't want to waste it. I want to spend it all on what matters most, on what pleases God the most, on what brings God the most glory with my life. And so, I really do think and feel that these two things, my sister's early death and Piper's call to not waste my life have been pivotal in freeing me from the feeling of need to walk the path of the American dream. I've been keeping a running series of journal entries specifically related to the journey that I've been on towards going into the ministry and becoming a pastor. I started it back on February 20th, 2014, while I was still a resident and training as a medical doctor. I started it out like this. The last several years have been for me the continuation of a long lesson God has been teaching me. Here's a summary of what I know now. I now know of myself and see in my heart. I'm just going to tell you the first one. Quote, what drives me the most in life is an underlying passion to not waste my life It stems from the huge influence John Piper has had on my life, and I owe a great deal to his own passionate pursuit of God's glory among the nations for the joy of all peoples. Close quote. God knows the number of my days, and so I'm committed to making the most of the rest of my life here on earth, to not waste my life Even if it means not going down the path of a traditional American doctor, but taking up the path of becoming a church planting pastor, which has its own set of challenges. That's what it's meant for me to allow the reality of death and the fact that my days are numbered to give me a heart of wisdom. Now, now that's what it's looked like for me. And, And I'm not saying that that's how it'll look like for you. But what about yourself? What about you? What would it look like for you to not just repress the fact that you're going to one day die, but leverage that reality in order to live an unwasted life? So I know this can all sound really abstract, so I'm going to try to make this really practical for you all. Jonathan Edwards, the well-known pastor and theologian from the 18th century, put together a series of resolutions for himself that helped guide the way he lived. And, and I want you to listen to resolution number 52, which Edwards wrote on July 8th, 1723, when he was just 19 years old. Listen to this. I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolved that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done. Supposing I live to old age. Read that again, it's a mouthful. Resolved that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done. Supposing I live to old age. So, thinking about your death might be a bit abstract, but something more tangible might be to just think about what you might regret doing or not doing in life if you were to live to old age. Again, that's not presumed, but this is a thought experiment. And I want you to imagine, and for some of you, you don't have to imagine anything at all. It's a reality for you. Imagine sitting in your living room with your grandkids. And you're talking about your life and your experiences in life. And one of your grandkids asks, Grandpa or Grandma, if you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? And I would add that it's not just about what you do differently, but as a Christian, what would you wish you had done for the glory of God? And as you think about it, instead of having regret down the line, just do it. Do the very things you think would bring God the most glory in every season of your life. Thinking like this can bring a lot of clarity to hard decisions you have to make. Because once you see the path forward that would bring God the most glory in that particular scenario, all that's left is for you to pray for the Lord to give you courage to pursue that path, armed with the knowledge that life is short and that you don't want to waste it. So, how should we face the reality of death? First, entrust yourself to a God who knows the number Your days. Don't repress thinking about your own death, but leverage it. Use it to use that reality to shape the way you live and to help you lead a life of greater wisdom and intentionality, an unwasted life devoted to Jesus. And second, entrust yourself to God who can use even death to fulfill. His promises. And trust yourself to a God who can use even death to fulfill his promises. I want you to look down at verse 2 with me. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Now, what's significant about Sarah dying in Hebron? Hebron is a city also known by two other names, Kiriath Arba and Mamre. Back in Genesis 12, as Abram first passes through the land of Canaan, he comes to a place north of Hebron called Shechem, which is where God first promises to give Abram's offspring the land that was before him. In Genesis 13, God promises land to Abram again after he settled in the land of Canaan, saying, all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. And soon after, we find Abram moving his tent and settling by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. It was at Hebron where God came and showed up in the form of man with two other men, To visit Abraham and Sarah just in front of their tent. It was there that both of them heard from God's own mouth that Sarah was going to bear a son the following year. So Hebron is a place in Canaan where Abraham and Sarah lived a significant amount of time. So it makes sense that Sarah breathes her last in Hebron. We're told that Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. One commentator brings out the fact that using both words, mourn and weep, at the same time here, leads one to believe that Abraham did not just weep aloud, but carried out other traditional mourning customs, such as rending his garments, disheveling his hair, cutting his beard, scattering dust on his head, and fasting. These rites were carried out in front of the corpse. And in the following section, the author of Genesis tells us what Abraham went through in order to get his wife a burial place. It all starts with Abraham approaching the Hittites, who were one of the people occupying the southern hill country and uh, the Hebron area of the Canaan Canaan at the time. Look down at verse 3 with me. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites, well, they they answer warmly and they basically offer Abraham any tomb that he'd like. So with great respect, with great formality, Abraham requests the cave of Machpelah, which is owned by a man named Ephron, the son of Zohar. And he's even willing to pay the full price for the cave so he can bury his wife properly. Ephron initially offers to give both the cave and the field that the cave was in to Abraham for free. But Abraham insists on paying the full price. And finally, the deal is made for 400 shekels of silver. Abraham purchases this field from Ephron the Hittite, and he's able to bury his wife properly in the cave. Look down at verse 19 with me. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. What I want you to see is that when Abraham makes this purchase, this is actually the first time Abraham officially owns land in Canaan. This is a big deal. You might just read through this chapter. You got a cave, you got a field, so what? This is a big deal if you think about it. One commentator points out that in a sense, the purchase of the plot of land at Machpelah was a first step toward Abraham and his descendants' acquisition of the whole land of Canaan. One other commentator brings out the fact that this reality, this is really the beginning fulfillment of the land promise that God made to Abraham over and over again. In other words, the death of Sarah becomes the very backdrop in which God continues to accomplish his purposes and to keep his promise of giving over land, the land of Canaan, to Abraham. Why is this important? What's the point of making such a big deal out of all this? What I want you to see is that even though death was never a part of God's original creation, no, it came into our reality as a tragic consequence of sin entering into this world. God can use even death to accomplish his purposes and to fulfill his promises. Death doesn't have the final word. Think about this with me. Like Sarah whose death became the catalyst for Abraham purchasing the land from the Hittites and the initial fulfillment of God's land promise to Abraham, there would one day come a descendant of Sarah, whose death would lead to the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Like Sarah whose death happened only after she gave birth to a child of promise, a child who in turn would lead to descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. The child of promise in his death on a blood-stained cross fulfilled God's promises from long ago through prophecies of a man who would one day be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, who, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, would pour out his soul to death in order to bear the sin of many. But unlike Sarah, who was buried in a cave and whose life and body remained lifeless, her long-awaited descendant, whose body, too, was placed in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock, didn't stay dead for long, but defeated death, and now lives to offer the promise of eternal life to the world. So now knowing all of this, how should we face the reality of death? Simply put, we should see death as just another milestone in our journey of faith. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me... Will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. In other words, we Christians have been promised by Jesus himself that faith in him means for us that death will not have the final word for us. No, like the Apostle Paul, to die and to leave the body is to be immediately ushered into the presence of Jesus. Listen to the words he writes in Philippians chapter 1. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. We Christians have a hope that no one else on earth has. Because when facing death, even our final moments, we have hope that God will fulfill his promise to us. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Many of you might be aware of this already, but the well-known author and pastor Tim Keller passed away just a couple of months ago. He planted Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City in 1989. And God used him powerfully, especially in preaching the gospel and explaining the Christian faith to secular intellectuals. Back in May of 2020, Keller was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. He went through two whole years of chemotherapy, and as of January of this year, he was still undergoing an immunotherapy drug trial. Before getting diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, Keller actually had thyroid cancer. But because thyroid cancer was treatable, it really wasn't until he was diagnosed with an incurable cancer like pancreatic cancer that it finally hit him. He was really going to die. Listen to what he says about death and dying. Quote, Everything just changes when you actually realize time is limited and not mortal. There's some kind of denial that's there that just will not go away until you actually have a doctor saying, you're going to die of this, and you could die of this within weeks. It all depends. Close quote. In the hours just before his passing, Keller's son shared that his father prayed these words. I'm thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. These are the words of a man who saw death as just another milestone on his journey of faith. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Christian, and I ask myself as well, can you really say with the Apostle Paul that for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain? If you were to face death tonight, Do you think you'd have it in you to honestly say, I'm ready to see Jesus send me home? Tim Keller, in an interview he did earlier this year, said that he and his wife would never want to go back to the kind of prayer life and spiritual life they had before the cancer the kind of intimacy and closeness that Keller experienced with God as he approached his final days are probably what allowed him to feel the way he did about going home to be with Jesus. And I'm just hoping that we don't need a diagnosis of cancer to get us to a place like that. I think if we were to learn something from this, it's that we need to seek all the more To cultivate our relationship and our intimacy with God now. So that one day we could truly say to live is Christ and to die is gain and mean it with all our hearts. So here's here's my call to action for you. Every day this week, I want you to pray the words of Psalm 90 verse 14. Write that down. Psalm 90 verse 14, as you start your day or as you begin your devotions, I wrote the verse on a sticky note, I put it in my Bible this morning. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days psalm 90 verse 14 and as you're praying that for yourself ask the lord to give you deeper levels of closeness with him deeper levels of joy with him and a sense of his presence in your life i'm going to do this too let's do this together because growing in our enjoyment of christ now will only pave the way to letting death simply be the entryway to more enjoyment of Christ later. Let me close by talking to those of you here with us today who haven't crossed the line of faith just yet. You've been hearing me talk a lot about death and dying and the realities of it all, and I hope you have a better sense of of how Christians think about these kinds of things. But what I hope most for you is to realize that you can't presume you've got years to live under your belt and let that make you think that you can put off figuring things out with God until later. Your life could be taken from you in a freak accident tonight. And if you die apart from a relationship with Jesus, there won't be a second chance after death. There won't be a second chance to get right with God after death. If you want to know how to become a Christian, or you just have questions about the faith, come find me after service. I'll be in the back. Or schedule a time later this week with a Christian friend and just talk things over. But don't put this off. Don't think that you have years and years to live and so you can figure these things out later. You don't know how long you have left. But let that give you a heart of wisdom. Let that give you a heart of wisdom and a desire to know where you stand with God right now, today. Don't let this chance pass. Don't put it off. Jesus died so that you could live in eternity with him. That's his promise to you. So, How are we going to face the reality of death? Entrust yourself to a God who knows the number of your days. And entrust yourself to a God who can use even death to fulfill his promises to us. Let's pray. Lord, it's not easy to think about death, especially our own death. But after all that's been said today, I ask that you give us all the wisdom, heart of wisdom, as you teach us to number our days. And Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice, that we may find our deepest source of gladness in you. All of our days we have left here on earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.